Right, as has been said, Luke 3, 15 to 22. The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this up to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Let's pray, and we're going to jump in trying to do the next little section on Luke's Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Grateful that you are the truth. Grateful that you have come and are coming still to seek us out, to convince us of who you are. We are grateful that you are our God. And we pray that as we look at your word, that your spirit may indeed bring it to life, so that we may rejoice in you, we may trust you, and we may know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Being a human being is quite amazing, isn't it? Don't you, don't you enjoy being a human being? Anybody here enjoys being a human? As opposed to being something else. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know if you ever, do you ever sit down and just think about your life? Think about yourself, think about what you really want, uh, what you expect. So on the top of your outline, I've kind of picked up on this idea, this reality. I don't know if you, maybe, maybe it's news to you. Maybe you don't go through that. Oscillating between being restless. Do you find something that you're restless inside of you? You're looking for something more, something better. Maybe, maybe it's because of the injustices around you. You're looking for justice. You're restless for justice. Maybe you just want more money, more sex, more fun, more whatever. Are you guys like that? Restless. That restlessness obviously can be a good thing. Because I'm restless to know more, to understand more, so I go out and I work and I explore and I try and find. The restlessness can be, obviously, from a bad side, I want to fill it up with other stuff. And I take it that brings us to the other side, settling for, uh, settling for being too easily pleased. So as you're looking for something and you can't quite find it, you are prepared to settle for something less important. So interesting. So we've got this funny experience, I take it as human beings, that we are oscillating between am I at peace and quiet and happy or am I settling for something less from what I want? Can you really have the life you desire? If I can't, then I'll settle for something less. Weird experience as human beings. Well, it tells us something about ourselves and it kind of comes to this passage which is quite interesting and I just want to pick up on the, some big movements. So in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to two, um, 
that Gerard uh, Rezzo, uh, Welfos, last week, I'm not going to try and do all those names, you really find a description. It's, a, it's an historical event that uh, Luke is kind of telling us, but he's also hinting at the fact that this was the Roman rule of the world, what we would call the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that was operating. And in one sense, Israel has never had life so good than at this time since the exile, which is right about four, 500 years earlier. The Romans were quite an incredible, well-liberated kind of people. They provided protection from all the kind of barbaroi, the, the barbarians around, and they made sure that all the people under their rule were safe from external attacks and raids and all sorts of things that was going on in the world at that stage. And so he kind of gives you these great names, all these great men, and everything is organized. And in that sense, Rome provided an enormous amount of peace, political peace, um, from enemies outside. Even internally, he also mentions here the, the, the great high priests. The Romans allowed people to have their own faith and to express their own faith within the bounds of what Rome is given. And so at this stage, the temple was being rebuilt, and it was one of those magnificent buildings that had been going on for 46 years by this stage that uh, this kind of happens. And um, everything is good. It's, it's running well again. For years and years and years, Israel didn't have a decent temple where they could bring offerings and sacrifices. Now it's happening again. So it seems like there's an enormous amount of good reason to feel optimistic. Political peace, religious peace. And yet you find in the passage, quite interestingly, in verse 15, a lot of the people, look at what it says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. This is good, but it's not yet what we're looking for. We want something more. Our hearts have got reasons often, isn't it, that our minds really don't really understand. We have longings for what is good and righteous and just and fair and free that our minds find sometimes a little bit difficult to pick up. So on the one hand, you had all these people. But in the text a little bit later, just go to verse 19, you find that people were trying to settle and to find a better life by maybe in this case, Herod exchanging one wife for another. I didn't like the one I have. I like my brother's wife, so I'm going to take her. I'm looking for something more than what I have, and so I'm going to get that. You see how interesting, on an individual level, people are to say, here's the king, he's, he's the tetrach, he rules this whole area. He's got what we would say, everything a man's heart can desire, and yet he's dissatisfied, and he decides to take his brother's wife. Weird, isn't it? And human beings are weird. We, on the one hand, want more, and yet we are prepared to settle for what is ought not to be. And we've got this conflict within us. And that's what this passage kind of gives us in the background. That's the reality of the world then. I take it as the reality of the world today. How at peace is your heart? And how does that peace express itself in your daily life? I think JJ's kind of said it already, so I can go and sit. But isn't it incredible when you actually look at this? This oscillation between being restless, wanting more, and yet settling for something that ought not to happen. 
in this case, these two little pictures. And so these guys are saying, we are so desperate for a new world. Maybe John, who seems to be very honest and very sincere and very straightforward, maybe he is the Christ. And so they're trying to find the Christ. They're looking for the Christ. Isn't that amazing? For 400 years, Israel has been looking for the Christ to come. And they look at all of this good stuff out there, and yet they are not satisfied, and they turn to John. And John actually helps them and says, no, 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 no. Uh, I am only a voice in the desert, and I can only prepare you for the one to come who is far greater. So let's have a quick look, because I've got good news for you if your heart is unsettled. And I've got good news for you if you are prepared to settle for less. No matter what it is that you think will give it to you. So here's a good news. Here it comes. Look and listen to John. Verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here he says, I am only the voice preparing you for the one who is coming, and he's much greater than I am. Greater in what way? More powerful in what way? And he tells us, yeah, he's more worthy. So you all know the story. Even in that culture, um, a slave was never required to actually wash the master's feet and take off his thongs and sandals. Not, not even a slave was required to do that. Remember those guys, guys, they didn't have tar roads, eh? So imagine your thongs, your sandals walking in human dung, animal dung, all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's what it was like. I mean, they didn't have tar roads. It was mud and gung. And so they didn't even expect the slave to bend down and to wash the feet of the master. And he says, well, Jesus is so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to do that job for him, which was not required. You see what he's trying to say? He's just trying to help you to understand he really thinks Jesus is the greatest and that that is the one that you need to be preparing yourself for. I'm just preparing you for him. But he's coming, and he's much more powerful and greater than what I am. And here he tells us two great things that he's greater. First, his baptism is greater, and his judgment is greater. So the first thing he's talking about, he says, I can give you an outward sign. So when you become aware that your life is not right, you are not right with God, you don't do what you know to be true and right, when you become aware of that, he says, well, then I will give you this sign that you need to be washed. So it's an outward sign of an awareness of an inward change that needs to take place. But that's a judgment you must make for yourself. When you evaluate yourself, are you happy with yourself? Are you the kind of person who do what they know is right and true and good and God-honoring? If you're aware you don't, well, then I can tell you, well, wonderful. You are now preparing yourself. So last week we looked a little bit at this. The preparing is very odd. Normally when a king comes, or when an important person comes to your house, you quickly sort the garden out in front, isn't it? And you quickly do the stuff inside the house to make it look at least more or less decent so the person can come in. Now, that's what they did in those days. If they knew a king or a general would come, the people would literally rush out and make it easy for him to enter their city. So they would make everything flat and clean and set everything upright so that he can come and easily walk into their city. So that's really what people did in those days. It was very similar to what we do. Uh, they just did it on a bigger scale. So here he says, God is coming, and I am here to prepare the way for him. 
And the way I'm preparing is I'm preparing the people. They need to flatten themselves out. They need to sort themselves out. They need to become aware that inside of them there's a problem and they are not ready to receive him. So you need to do that kind of work. And that's what I've come to do. I've come to tell you, he is coming. This great one is coming. So prepare yourself. And I can wash you outward as an indication of your awareness that you need to change on the inside. There was lots of baptisms in the Old Testament. The one that's most likely in the background here is the baptism of those who are not part of God's people at all, and they had to be baptized. And I don't want to get into all of the baptism language, but it's quite interesting when you do. So he's saying to them, you are not God's people because I'm meeting you in the desert on the other side of the Jordan. You are out of the promised land because you're not God's people. You're not ready for him. So prepare yourself by admitting your sin, your need to change, and I will wash you so that when he comes, he will be able to recognize you. That's really what John is saying. It's all I'm doing. I'm just doing the preparation work. Because when he comes, he tells us, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to go back into the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the promise, Ezekiel tells us, that God says, I will wash you and I will sprinkle you with water. John has just done it. And then what I will do is, I will actually give you a new spirit. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you may truly know me. So really what he's saying is, I'm going to recreate the human heart. Why is he more powerful? Well, I can prepare, but he can literally change your heart with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's more powerful. Recreation is going to happen. When you bump into Jesus, you bump into the one who's got the power to change your heart. That is what is coming. That is the great recreation work. And it's very interesting again, water and spirit. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, the waters covered everything and the spirit was hovering about it. And then God spoke and new life jumped up. And life was shaped and formed so that man can live in it. Very similar. I will clean you with water and I will give you my spirit and you'll be recreated so that you will fulfill your purpose for why I made you in the first place. That is a lot of power. To change a human so that he will function and act and think like a human, that is powerful. And he says, it is an inside, outward job. I do the outside, inside job. He's come to do the inside, outward job. That's why he's more powerful and more able than anyone else. And that's why I want to prepare you for him. You cannot come to him if you don't aware of your need of that kind of radical change. No matter how many times you've repented, it's not going to work. It's not good enough. It's absolutely essential that you repent, but it's not good enough to repent, to admit that you were wrong. You actually need this Jesus who's coming to give you his spirit so that he will remake you. That's what you need. You need to come to him. You need to repent. You need to turn away from what is wrong. Necessary, but not sufficient. You need to come to him. He is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, and with fire, which brings us to the next thing. You see, John is saying that his judgment is different to mine. My judgment is I can tell you if you've really repented. I can judge false repentance from true repentance. And that's, remember, the little examples he's given. Don't tell me you've changed your mind if your behavior has not changed. 
Don't lie to yourself. That's a false judgment. That's a false repentance. If you change your mind about something, it will show itself in your behavior. If it doesn't, you haven't repented. You see what John is saying? See, that's what I can do. I can help you to help you to understand whether you've truly repented or not. When your heart changes, when your mind changes, your behavior changes. When you know your behavior needs to change, it doesn't help to change your behavior. You must change your mind so that you behave. And you get the drift? He says, that's what I can do. I can help you, and we can help one another to do that. We can say, listen, you say, I'm sorry, but I didn't act out that sorriness. Say, so, were you sorry? Are you really convinced that you are wrong? Well, you'll show it in your behavior. That's what he's saying. So I can judge that. That's my judgment. And that's why you're warning them and almost shouting at them. And it's almost a bit rude, isn't it? But he says, Jesus is the one who will now baptize you with fire. Meaning he is the one who will bring ultimate separation between those who really know him and those who don't. So look at the, the little uh, thing, verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So you all know the story. You've got this fairly big flat area where they've, after they've cut all the wheat, they chuck it on there, and then they get all the oxen, and the oxen walks across it and over it and over it and over it and crushes it and breaks it up. Okay? And then they wait for the right kind of uh, wind to come past, not too strong, not too weak, and then they take the winnowing fork and they chuck the stuff into the air, and the wind blows the chaff onto a heap, and all the wheat falls onto the threshing floor, and they keep on doing it and keep on doing it and keep on doing it until the chaff is on the side, and the wheat is here, and then they gather it, and then they take a match. They don't have matches, those, but you know what I'm saying. Throw it into the fire, and it's burnt. This Jesus, who is baptizing by the Spirit, at this very moment is starting to bring about a distinction between those who are His, those who are actually becoming wheat, becoming life, and those who are chaff. And He's busy doing it. But there's a break between these two, isn't it? The start of the process of planting and letting the wheat grow and getting the wheat and then separating them, there's a whole process involved here. He's coming to start something new, recreation through the Spirit, but it's going to end in judgment and separation of those who are His, those who have responded to Him, and those who have not responded to Him. So He's much greater because His stuff is eternal. It's an unquenchable fire. You see how he's saying? Jesus is much more powerful than I am. He can recreate now, and he can separate what is real and what is false, and he has the power and the authority to burn up what is evil and wrong and not his. And he's really talking here, in this case, interesting, about people, isn't it? He has the right to give life now. He has the right to separate those who are his and those, and he has the right to into the fire those and it will be eternally unquenchable fire so he's saying I want you to get to know him so when you hear that and I think it, uh, JJ has referred to it it's a kind of a weird thing hearing that message what do you expect Jesus to come like if that's the message you're hearing how do you expect him to come and that's where the weird thing is verse 21 when all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too how does he come? Weak. Sinner. Family of God. 
The Son of God, Israel was called the Son of God. He comes in humility. He comes in weakness. He comes and says, I need to be baptized. I need to associate myself with everybody else. I am, don't see myself as any different from anybody else. I mean, weird, isn't it? You would have thought he would come in this powerful being who would do things. And he comes as a human and he comes and bows and he says to John, yeah, you've got to baptize me. And he's praying, which is one of the things humans do. They pray to a God. They pray to their gods. They call out to whoever could, they believe could help them. And he's praying. He comes in absolute humility. Because he's going to come and do the work that God wants to do. He's going to bring new life first, then judgment later. And he steps onto the scene. And that's where the passage is driving us. So here, look at all the incredible things that are happening. Jesus comes in meekness, humility. He's being baptized. He associates with Israel. Weird thing is, he's, while he's praying, the heavens opened. Then the Holy Spirit descends bodily like a dove. Now, I've got no idea how to explain that. Doves tend to flutter down, isn't it? So he comes visibly. The Spirit comes visibly in some sort of way and comes and rests on him. And then the voice from heaven says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There you have the Trinity. One of the first instances of the Trinity in action. You've got the Son, you've got the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit. So what this is saying to us, that this one, this humble one, this insignificant one, that you can't really see any different from anybody else, the Father says, He is the one that will unlock life. It will open heaven he will be the one who, on whom the Spirit rests, and therefore he's the one who will give the Spirit. And he's the one that I identify as my true son, the one that I love, and the one that I am well pleased with. I'm satisfied with this one. So when you read all of those verses, you've got to, your, your, your kind of mind has to go all over the place, because this is Old Testament being fulfillment. I've given you a whole number of passages, and we're not going to turn to them all. You, you can go and find them. Maybe tonight we'll discuss them in a bit more detail. You are my son is the declaration of God in Psalm 2 for his anointed king who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. That's the picture. <laughs> Here he sits in the water, humbled, just being baptized, praying in humility. Heavens suddenly, well, it's interesting, it's opened from the bottom up. That's actually what the word means. As Jesus comes and fulfills God's purposes, he literally rips open the heavens for us in his humility. The Spirit comes down and the Father says, that's the ruler of the universe. That's what he's saying. And I love him and I'm well pleased with him. I'm satisfied with him. There's an enormous amount of scripture that comes together. Isaiah 42 says, This is my servant whom I love and I'm well pleased with. And the Spirit will be on him. And he will actually establish justice and righteousness. But he will do it in a very weird way. He will not even blow out a spent candle. Neither will he break off a bruised reed. He comes as the Lord of Lords who will shatter the kings and the nations with an iron scepter. But he comes now first as my servant. And he will not actually break off a bruised reed. 
I mean, what can you do with a broken reed? You know, a reed that is kind of bent in the middle. What can you do with that? Jesus says, I will straighten it again. And a spent candle, I will not destroy it. I will light it again. It will have life again. I am the one who has got all the right, and yet that is what I am going to do. And then in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 9, you'll find these incredible pictures. The Spirit will come upon him. That's exactly what has happened. The Spirit has come down, and it will remain on him. That's what has happened right here, visibly for everybody to see. And what will he do? Well, the government will be on his shoulders. Interesting, if you go to chapter 3 and verse 1, when he talks about the reign of Tiberius Caesar, it's the government of Tiberius Caesar. The government will be on his shoulders. A son is given to him, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will carry this government. He will be the one who will execute it. He's the one who will bring it about. That's what he's saying. And I'm well pleased with him because he is the one that will bring an increase of government and an increase of peace, and it will never, ever, ever stop. But where does it start, you see? This is the interesting thing. It actually starts as you respond to him. So here's the incredible thing. When you are caught between this restlessness and the setting for whatever is less, did you, do you really know that what you believe in your heart, you tend to say, our voices tend to actually express what we believe. Not always, because we can be very good at hiding things. But often you can't get rid of it. So have you ever used the words, if only? If only what will be, then I will be happy. If only this person would be like this, then I will be satisfied. If only this situation will change, then I will be able to live. Then I will be able to exist. It's amazing how our voices tells us where we find our peace, where we find our life. And that's what's so amazing about us as human beings. We actually show far more what we really believe than what we sometimes realize. And that's a good thing because we can help one another. So here's the interesting thing. The question you have to ask yourself is what is your voice saying about God's Son? Here at his baptism, the Spirit can come down and he can actually rest because a dove doesn't come and sit on something that is uh, upset. The Spirit comes down and he can sit on Jesus because Jesus is at peace. He is life. He comes and rests upon him. And then the Father says, this is my Son. I love him. With him I am satisfied or well pleased, as the language says. So here's the interesting thing. If he's going to come to recreate things by the very spirit that is now upon him, when you come to him and you say almost exactly what the Father says, and that's why it works in reverse, when you say what the Father says, this Jesus is the Son of God. I love him. With him, I am satisfied. You know what happens? The spirit comes and sits on you. And heaven is opened. Every single time you do that, 
you will experience exactly the promise that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Whenever you feel, I need more than what I have to live, that's when you can turn to Christ and say, you are the Son of God. The government is on your shoulders. And your reign will increase and your peace will increase even in this heart that is now upset and feel it's been robbed or stolen or whatever. I love you, Jesus, Son of God. With you, I am well pleased. And God's recreative work in you takes another step. When you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and you testify with your mouth, that is Lord, you'll have life. Isn't that incredible? Do you believe that? Do you know that? Remember Luke is saying, I'm writing this so that you will know this. Theophilus. Okay, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to know this. I want you to practice this so that you may know it. So here's the good news. I don't know exactly where you are and what you're upset about and what you feel you've missed out on and who has harmed you. Listen to this. Jesus Christ is the king that has the government of the universe on his shoulders. And he says, if you come to me and you identify me, you acknowledge me, and you love me, and you are well pleased with me, the Spirit will enable you to know the reality of heaven now. And it will give you strength, and it will give you hope, and it will give you love, so that you may live satisfied. Isn't that incredible? The good news is it's available right now in Jesus Christ. For all of us. For everyone. You go out into the world, why is there so much corruption and hatred? And, because everybody's looking for something more than what they have. What do we have can tell them? Have you come to meet Jesus Christ? When you come to him, when you receive him, when you acknowledge him for who he is, this is the weirdest thing he does. He actually baptizes you with the spirit that enables you to know life and satisfaction. Now already. Yes, one day he's going to come and he's going to remove all evil. That's going to happen. But he can give you now the peace that transcends all understanding to know life. Isn't that amazing? That's the good news. You want to give him a try? You want to say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I want to get to know you. I want to recognize you for who you are. You are the true son of God. You are the one who has the government of the universe on your shoulders. And you came in humility. And you're now actually giving us your spirit. That's why the scriptures keep on saying, be filled with the spirit. Keep on believing in Jesus Christ as Lord. And you will be filled with the spirit. And heaven will open for you. You will know that life is far more than what you're experiencing now. And that life is connected to Jesus Christ. If you do not know this, why don't you come and talk to me or talk to somebody else? If you know this, why don't you practice it a bit more and share it? Yesterday we had a great uh, day with Shalmin about uh, talking about racism and 
apartheid and all sorts of things like that. And uh, Peter Macapella gave his testimony very quickly. He uh, was on one of the marches early in South African history, and he was beaten into a pulp by the police, uh, so much so that for six months he couldn't go to school. Uh, he basically almost died. And so in his heart, he obviously had great love for white people. It just sprung up out of his heart. He couldn't wait to hug a white person. Of course not. He would be the first one after that to pick up a stone to throw. And he says, but when I bumped into Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I had the weirdest settling of my heart's concerns that I can imagine. So now I reach out and I actually love and hug white people. Do you know that reality? Something of it. Maybe yours is, context is different. Jesus Christ is the one who's coming to bring new life, and he brings it when we know him and trust him. So let me encourage you to do that and share that with as many other people as you possibly can. The desires of the human heart cannot be satisfied anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. If you're still looking for it somewhere else, I want to encourage you to go for it as, with the energy as much as you possibly can. If you believe you can find life in anything else, I want, don't want to tell you not to do it. I want you to go for it. See if it's true that you can find life outside of Christ. Go for it. Leave no stone unturned to go for it. Don't be afraid. Don't be a, a, a kind of a false person. You don't believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Go and find life somewhere else. Go for it. Don't hang back. Give yourself entirely to it. See if it will bring about life. Jesus Christ says, I am the giver of life, and I give it in the weirdest way. It's when you simply bow before me and acknowledge me for who I am. You will find life, and heaven will open, and you will be able to live as we wait for his second coming. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this unbelievable, simple reality. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he now rules, and he gives his spirit to everyone who comes to him. And that spirit brings about life, and peace, and righteousness, and goodness, and love, and patience, and joy, and faithfulness, and self-control. And goodness. Every single thing our hearts feel we do not have enough of is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Lord, forgive us for knowing this and yet not actually acting upon it, coming to you. Asking you to break open for us the reality of Christ so that our hearts may be satisfied with Him. So that no matter where we are and what happens to us, we have this unbelievable reality that our lives are connected to the ruler of the universe. And no one can pluck us out of his hand. Nothing can pluck us out of his hand. Lord, thank you for the enormity of the testimony that you've given us this morning. We know we wrestle with it. We know we kick it around. We know we kind of have a glance and then we maybe find something else more interesting. We ask that you will be gracious to us and enable us to look at the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to see the unbelievable good news that now we may have life and have it to the full. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's